Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is Issues 2020. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Sedgwick County Health Director Adrian Byrne. Welcome to Issues 2020. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, if, you, uh, if our listeners can tell, we're doing this over the phone because we're not allowing visitors at our radio station now and haven't been for quite a while. Uh, but you've been at ground zero in Sedgwick County during the, the uh, coronavirus pandemic, along with several local health officials. And I'm going to guess that you've never seen anything quite like this. <laughs> That is true. You know, we, we have had measles outbreaks. We had um, H1N1 in 2008 and 9, but uh, it, very difficult to get prepared for something like COVID-19 because it has been a moving target since day one with new information uh, popping up um, sometimes on the hour. Would you, and that was my next question. Was the county prepared at some level or any level for any type of health crisis this big? Yeah, well, I, I will say yes on many levels because uh, we do have preparedness um, instead of a county. And so we, you know, go through exercises to, you know, practice to have like um, what currently we have a, a drive-through testing. And so we have what's called pods, point of uh, dispensing, so that if we need to do vaccinations or testing, that we are ready to do that. And every day, um, other health departments, and particularly medium size and large that have epidemiologists on staff, they're always monitoring what is occurring in our country, what is occurring in other states, and particularly those states around us, to uh, be aware of any potential threat to Kansas and to Sedgwick County. So that is something that, that we do have staff doing. And, uh, you know, don't forget that we have a lot of reportable diseases um, uh, in Sedgwick County and everywhere. And so if, if there is a... Um, if there's pertussis, which is whooping cough, or measles, chickenpox, there's a whole lot of reportable diseases. And when we get a call on that, because we get all of those, we're notified of all of those, because then our EPIs need to do um, investigations with calling the, con- the main person and finding out what who their close contacts were so we then can get in contact with them and um, see if they need to be um quarantined. I don't think they did that when I was in high school. When I was a junior in high school, I, I did two-a-day practices for about a week with, with uh, whooping cough. And yeah, I think I may have given it to the entire team. <laughs> but those were the days. 
Hey, listen, yes. but how would you describe this actually? Once in a lifetime type of by the size and scope, or once in a generation? What do you think? I, you know, I don't know that we. It's being more compared to like 1918, uh, but the difference in 1918 with the Spanish flu. Uh, is that we, you know, we didn't have what we do now in regard to public health. However, that, you know, outbreak, and it was devastating because it killed so many people. But in 19, you know, 18, it showed that social distancing works because there were areas that began to utilize some of those um, tactics and it didn't spread as much. So, you know, we have learned some things uh, throughout the years. We have had other you know, viruses, diseases that we didn't have immunities to. Uh, We've had SARS, and again, the most recent was the H1N1 flu, where it was a new strain, a novel strain, just like this corona uh, COVID-19 is, that we, none of us had natural immunities built up for. Mm. So, um, go ahead. I want to go back to something very basic. (laughs) And if you would, can you explain to me in in the simplest terms you can exactly what the coronavirus is? So uh, coronavirus is that there are a number of coronaviruses and in humans, there are, I believe, seven coronaviruses that we are able to get. And the common cold is one of those. And then the excuse me, the the sudden um, sudden acute respiratory uh, syndrome SARS was another one, um, as was MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, because that's where it, it, it began. So there are other um, coronaviruses that have been around for, gosh, way over 50 years. So coronaviruses in and of themselves aren't new. It's just that this um, COVID-19 that originated um, in China in December of 2019, which is why it's called COVID-19, because that's when the origination was of, of identifying this virus. Um, so that is kind of the, the short history of, of COVID-19. Okay. Is this, a, is this a plot by the Chinese or... No, I don't think so. I know they they were pretty devastated by it as well in their country. So it's uh, it is just a um, new strain that is thought to have um, jumped from hu- um, animal to human, and that created this novel, this new strain that we haven't dealt with before and don't have immunities built up for. Yeah. Well, what, what are the symptoms? I mean, sometimes I guess there are no symptoms. What are the usual symptoms? Well, the, the symptoms that were identified in the beginning were cough, fever, usually of, uh, over 100.3 or 4, and difficulty breathing uh, in cases that were more severe. Now, since then, because we're still learning, there's just, we're learning still about this, you know, every day as it evolves, that um, some people will report having mild, like, cold symptoms. Other people report having somewhat fluish symptoms. But for the most part, we're just seeing a dry-type cough. Some have a fever because fevers can... um, one person might show more of a fever than maybe an older 
um, older adult. Uh, it can it can depend upon the time of the day. So our fevers can somewhat fluctuate, but there's been some sort of respiratory upper or or lower. And then as it progresses or those cases that are more severe have difficulty breathing. Now, is this a, is a person contagious before the symptoms show up? Well, they're still learning uh, on that, oh, but the okay. belief the the belief is yes that the um, contact investigations are supposed to start two days prior to symptoms. So when when we hear from a doctor or a lab, because we're always alerted as the health department that there is someone has tested positive for COVID nineteen, we contact that person and um, find out who their close contacts are. And a close contact is considered anyone uh, within six feet for more than 10 minutes. So we find out who all of their close contacts were. And if they're working, we'll call their employer, uh, their supervisor, to verify that that was just to make sure that they have their dates right and then go about an investigation of uh, not only who did they come in contact with that they may have exposed, but trying to trace who they came in contact with where they may have um, gotten COVID-19 from. Now, again, but the giving it, or going, transmitted from one person to another, do we have to have to cough on something? Do we have to? We are cleaning surfaces like crazy around here. We, you know, and that is a good thing. And again, you know, uh, additional information came from uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention this weekend. So we, when we think we have it figured out as far as just how far it transmits or surfaces, then new information uh, is coming out. But we, you know, we know for sure that it is transmitted through coughing or sneezing, and uh, that primarily the the main way in the beginning believed was primarily through droplets where someone would sneeze or cough and it goes into the air and then droplets then fall Mm -hmm. to the surface, whether it's um, a table or, I mean, whatever it might be. And so that's why it's so important for people to cover their cough with a tissue or into their um, elbow or shoulder. Now, that doesn't necessarily contain all of the spreading that's occurring, but uh, just like with a common cold or flu, it probably all, all the um, what spittle that, that's going out isn't it totally contained, but it really helps contain it versus spreading. So most people, uh, it has been believed, would come in contact with a surface that, that those droplets have landed on, um, or the person coughs into their um, or sneezes into their hand, picks up a pencil or touches a surface, someone else comes along since we know that um, the COVID-19 can remain alive on varying surfaces up to, I believe it's 48, 72 hours, depending upon what mm-hmm. it is. Someone touches that and then touches their eyes, nose, or mouth, and then in our body that virus goes. Now, wow. as of this weekend, um, Center for Disease Control, um, through their scientists and continuing to just find out more about this, are now saying that the when someone coughs or sneezes, that it projects way beyond six feet mm. um, and remains in the air a little bit until it disperses, um, and that it could possibly be like tracked in um, on dirt. Mm. 
So we're finding that it's it's staying on a lot of different materials and surfaces. Um, we're obviously doing something right here in Sedgwick County and in other places around the country. Um, uh, others, it's more of a challenge to get it under control because it just got out of control so quickly. But that social distancing, and I read an article, one of the articles I read last week, I really liked how it said, you know what, we, we, it might help if we look at this as physical distancing. And when I read physical distancing, I thought, you know, that conjures up an image in my mind in a much more concrete way than social distancing is, even though that's the term that that we use. But physical distancing of staying away at least six feet from Mm -hmm. someone and um, keeping the hands away from the eyes, nose and mouth is just critical because it doesn't we haven't found any information that it, you know, can somehow absorb through our skin. So we have to give it a way into our body through our our uh, eyes, nose, or mouth. What? So how effective are masks? Well, it depends, and so many people have asked that, you know, since the the beginning, and the guidance has definitely changed a lot on personal protective equipment or what people will often uh, hear someone just say PPE. It's personal protective equipment. And doctors and nurses, they are um, very familiar with that because you'll see those surgical masks that people wear are really to keep our germs in. So it's not, there's not a whole lot of protection that people will get just from wearing the surgical type masks, but that's not to say that it doesn't provide a little bit of a barrier versus nothing. But then there's an N95 respirator mask that people need to be fitted for to make sure it has an absolutely snug fit because that is to keep things from the outside getting in. Okay. You're listening to Issues 2020 on the Intercom radio stations, and our guest is Sedgwick County Health Director Adrian Byrne. is that all in the mask? You sounded like you might have something else to say about it. Well, uh, there have, you know, in the beginning, well, there's a couple of different things because there's a shortage. There's been such a shortage of supplies of personal protective equipment throughout the country. And uh, there's not even enough N95 masks for our first responders and uh, people in our medical community to feel secure that they'll have one next week. So the the county has been working tirelessly. I mean, I've been very proud of just how hard, you know, in, involving the our county manager. I mean, at all levels, they're just overturning every stone to, I mean, I can't even tell you how many vendors that we've called, but, you know, 80, I mean, there's just so many vendors to try to find out if we can get N95 masks. They're very difficult to come from. I believe in the beginning it was related to um, China uh, being on a lockdown because some of these supplies come from China. And even surgical masks are, you know, in short supply. And so what, what some people have started to do around the community is make masks 
So now there's guidance out about making masks, like you need to use cotton and there needs to be at least two ply. Um, and it's important to like tie behind the head because it needs to be a really as tight of a fit as possible so that if we sneeze or cough, that it doesn't come out. So in the beginning, it was just sick people. If you have symptoms, only sick people really need to wear masks. Well, the more that we've learned about COVID-19 um, from Center for Disease Control and places like National Institute of Health is that there are um, some asymptomatic people, which means people that are not showing symptoms of COVID-19 walking around that are actually carriers. Now, it's not totally clear how much they can transmit uh, because it, it, because you really can't. It's very difficult to do a case contact investigation when you don't know who you came in contact with because they weren't sick. But people are being tested in some parts of the country, like New York, that that are not ill. And in New York, they have found that out of every 1,000 asymptomatic people, one is a carrier. So there could be people that um, are carriers that aren't ill. So then that's when CDC came out with a recommendation over a week ago that everyone could wear a mask. Now, that definitely needs to be in places like New York and, you know, where they're densely populated and might have more of a struggle with maintaining adequate uh, physical distance if they're out. But um, in, uh, Kent's Department of Health and Environment, our state health department, followed up with that same recommendation last week. So um, is it absolutely necessary? Um, I wouldn't say that, you know, everyone absolutely has to do that. But under any abundance of caution, definitely if someone is ill, they need to, or not feeling quite right, they, they need to wear uh, uh, some type of a mask so that if they do sneeze or cough or either even talking with someone that the germs aren't, aren't coming out. But um, even if people aren't ill and they're going out and about in the community, it just helps spread that protection. Who is most at risk for COVID-19? The highest risk population are those over 60 with uh, other chronic um, illnesses, diseases such as diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, asthma, and really any age uh, that has a compromised immune system for any uh, reason. So we are showing, I mean, it really can no one is is immune to having severe effects to COVID-19, but all the data so far is showing that um, that age group that is most severely affected is over 60 and definitely 80 and over. Well, you know, we've, we've had some stories uh, recently about uh, a higher concentration uh, under African-American communities and places like that. Is that a matter of uh, physiology, or is that a matter of where they are and, and how close they're coming in contact with other people, maybe their job or something like that? I'm not totally sure, and we're, we're just um, Sedgwick County numbers of, of people that we've testing, and we're, we're going to start to be able to increase that, but I don't know that we have enough data in Sedgwick County yet to uh, really um, explain that, but, you know, oftentimes there are uh, populations and groups w within any um, city that may not have um, the same type of access to health care or um, physicians um, 
just to services as other people do. And um, that could be one of those reasons where there's just not always an equitable uh, there's not always equity across the board in regards to what we have access to. And, and maybe it can also attribute to where we live and how much we have access to um, a, a full grocery store that has fruits and vegetables and just access to healthy foods. And income also plays a factor. You know, I, I am uh, 100% with you and convinced that this uh, stay-at-home thing is, is the way to go and the way to make this work. But, you yeah. know, there's, I don't know how you are, but there's a mental health aspect to this health crisis. Uh, Absolutely. People get in some pretty dark moods when they have to stay oh. at home all the time. Talk about Absolutely. that a little bit. Yeah. Well, that is just, that is extremely difficult. And when I've done some research on the effects of isolation and quarantine, um, you know, there's been studies that show that, that sometimes there's lingering effects three, like two, three years after just because of, you know, particularly if it's not an experience someone has ever had before and you are isolated from other people. And sometimes, like in, in your own household, if you're ill, you need to stay away from other people, like in your own room and not use the same bathroom if someone's uh, lucky enough to have more than one bathroom. And so just that, the isolation from from your loved ones and then being out and about around people can be extremely difficult. So uh, it's really important for people to be have ways to stay in contact with people. So that's where that social connection and not so much getting onto social media, but finding ways to you know talk to people on the phone, do some video with people just to have some kind of connection and knowing that this is going to pass. It seems like it's, you know, six weeks has seemed like a year. I mean, it's just exhausting for everybody and quite a trying period. It's draining. It's There's a lot of anxiety in our community with people that don't normally experience anxiety. There are a lot more people experience anxiety because of the unknown. And it's just changing all the time. And it's hard to feel like we have control over you know, life, you know, it being normal because it's not normal right now. So it's just important for people to hang in there knowing we will get past this and, you know, journaling, journaling, writing down uh, what we're experiencing every day can, can help, but also finding a way to um, reach out and keep in touch with some people. ComCare does have a line, 660-1111. They still have their crisis line for people in crisis feeling suicidal, but also the 1111 is a new line just for anyone struggling with how hard all this is right now. And you also have the 211 United Way of the Plains helping with all the other aspects of this thing. We as well. do. And I'm glad you brought that up because, again, we are expanding our testing, um, loosening up on testing criteria. So it, we have been going by KDHE, and it's been pretty stringent who could get tested. Um, but even they are loosening that up now. And so if anyone um, feels ill, believes they have been in contact with someone that um, has been ill and have some type of symptoms, respiratory symptoms, fever, if they call 211, 211 will screen them. And then connect them with our nurse, uh, our nurse uh, triage line, and we will ask some more questions. And if they're ill, get them set up to be tested. How will we know when it's time to go back to normal? (laughs) You know, we are starting to uh, look at that and strategize. But at at this point, 
there's still there are others before us that that started that have already hit their their peak and so we are hoping to learn from them them we may get to a point where we just we we don't quite hit this massive peak we may hit a point where we just plateau and continue that plateau with those certain amount of numbers cases that we get every day every week for a while that's kind of what we're help we're hoping for so that we don't overwhelm our hospitals and anyone that needs uh, beds which there are plenty of those now can can get those so a plan is being looked at is how do we gradually get back to normal so, so what is the future? Is it ultimate uh, a vaccine of some sort? It is. The National Institute of Health and others have been working on a vaccine. I'm still hearing that it could be uh, 2021. But that is definitely in the works as other things are. All right. This, I've, I've got to, we've got to stop. You know, we're out of time, but I sure appreciate your time. Let me express this, too, for, for you in, in the healthcare industry and what you're doing and the first responders and the all the medical people, just a big salute from all of us out here. You're doing a terrific job and, uh, on a really tough, tough mission. And so, Well, we, thank, thank you, and thank the community for all they're doing yeah. to help spread this, all right, stop thanks, this spread. Thanks for sharing, thank you. sharing some good information with us today. Our guest, Sedgwick County Health Director Adrian Byrne. And uh, that's all for this edition of Issues 2020. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.